0: He's got to have all of the stuff with him in order to one-man one band. Do we have that picture with the little girl on the bowl that we can put back up? I wanted to make a comment about that, actually. <clears throat> it's the one with the big orange bowl. Yeah, that's the ticket. Now you're wondering, what could I possibly say about that picture? Other than the fact that, A, they did not know it was me coming to speak. So, and B, I actually, growing up, had a polka dot outfit like that. And long hair, and pigtails. And yes, I do recall eating a bowl of chocolate ice cream just like this. And I just, I just pointed it out to Mary because if you don't know the hammocks, there are Johnny on the spot team behind the scenes and I just want to commend them because not only them but our, our um, media crew and everybody, every, it's a team every Sunday to come and bring the word to you. So I just want to commend and thanks and just, just that, you know, God is always doing things even though we do random things. This blessed me because it was like, hey, <laughs> Did they call my mom or something? (laughs) So, in any case today, you do have an outline in your program, so if you'll get that out. There are also Bibles in front of you, if you don't have one. And if you notice, we're going to, there seems to be a lot of scripture here, but we're going to kind of take a walk through the book of Matthew, if you will. And the teacher side of me wants to let you know that Matthew was about Jesus is the king. And it was important for them, for the the writer of Matthew, to make that statement overall, the overarching theme of Matthew, because as Jewish people, they were looking for a king to overthrow the Roman government, to make them a national and political scene. And instead... When Jesus comes on the scene, he's a very different kind of king than what they expected. And it's important to know this because you see the Jewish people were a chosen people. And that's how they saw themselves, as a chosen people. And what you'll find as we walk through today is that these chosen people, they had a job to do. And it's the same job that the church has today. So when I say church, everybody say, I'm the church. Church. Wait, 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 wait. You messed that up. Okay. I'm going to say, you're the church, and you're going to say, I am the church. You're the church. I am the church. A little more emphasis. You're the church. I am the church. Okay. So, I'm not going to have you say that out loud every time I mention the word church today, but I want you to be thinking, I am part of this church. You're thinking, I am the church, okay? So this message, although we're speaking to individual hearts, this is a corporate message. Because Jesus was speaking to the Jewish people about what they really should be doing as the chosen people, okay? So that's the teacher part of what I wanted to talk about. I just know I'm going to kick this and it's going to go flying. So what I'm going to talk to you today is about people living hungry. Now we know that if we need food today, we can just go to the grocery store or the nearest farm market and get food. If you're one of my boys, you just go and raid my refrigerator 24-7. There's food. I have four teenagers and older living in our house, so there's, it's, it's just a constant battle, right? <laughs> but, you know, when food is not readily available, then people go and seek out food pantries, much like the one our vineyard here has that we just had yesterday that Maggie and Jay Nolan run people seek out food because they need it for sustenance they need food and water to live you know when we talk about it on a worldwide scale there's plenty of humanitarian organizations there's plenty of faith based organizations that raise awareness they raise funds for food and water and medical supplies but the fact remains the sad fact remains that there're still people living hungry among us and not just on a physical sense there are people that live among us that are spiritually hungry they are dying because they had lack spiritual sustenance that they need for today and tomorrow and the next day and the next until Jesus returns they are dying So today, we're going to talk about the church, remember you're the church, living hungry for God. And because we are people living hungry for God, we are the people that are supposed to connect with these other people that are living hungry spiritually to the life of Jesus. That is our job. Now, when you're hungry, unless you're fasting or you're dieting, you find a way to satisfy that hunger. And the only way to satisfy spiritual hunger is to have a living, breathing relationship, an intimate relationship with Jesus that is living, that is present, that is active in your life. And the Holy Spirit inside of us wets our appetite increases our desire for God and for the things of God. You know, it says in the word, taste and see that the Lord is good. When something is good for you, and it's good for your body, and it tastes good, you want more of it. You crave it. You desire it. You want it for yourself, and you have to have it. Well, there are people that are living spiritually hungry, but they don't know what it is they're hungry for. And so they fill that hole and try to find substitutes. And no matter what they put in, they are still spiritually hungry. When I went to Brazil, they have a root that they pound up and they grind, and it's called farina when it's in that ground-up state. And it's real coarse and dry and they eat it but it's just a filler there's absolutely no nutritional value in it whatsoever but it is a filler to fill up their stomach to tide them over to take care of these symptoms of hunger but it doesn't satisfy and it will lead to death if they don't get nutritional value somewhere else so keeping this in mind okay We're in the midst of everyone else. We're this chosen people, the church, mind you, that God created in the world that God also created with other living individuals who are hungry. And God sees us all as hungry people. So the point is, we are all hungry together. It's just a matter of defining what we're hungry for. When we think of it that way, then, when we think of it as the context of we're a people in the midst of a greater set of people, then you can see that we are supposed to be bridges and connectors in order to bring people that are living hungry, dying of spiritual hunger, to those that have found the life of Jesus. We are that link. We are commanded as the church to love God and love our neighbors. And you can see that in Matthew 22. We're to love God with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. And, you know, we love him because he first loved us. But, you know, when we first get into relationship with Jesus, aren't you hungry to know him more? Don't you just find yourself reading every bit of scripture you can get a hold on every bit of teaching you can get and going up to the prayer line to get every piece of prayer you can get we're hungry we go after it and you know the longer that I'm in relationship with the Lord the more I desire to have those that are in relationship with me have that same kind of life I want those in relationship with me to be whole to be healed to feel loved, and wanted, and cared for. I want them to have what Jesus gives me. The problem is, it sounds like I'm loving my neighbor, but that's too narrow of a view of what a neighbor is. That's only one piece of the pie, and God wants the whole pie the whole of humanity, the whole people, because we are to be a people unto the Lord. It is our mission as the church to be a people for God. Not just us who are inside these doors, but God wants the whole of humanity, the whole world, to be his people. And as a church, we are to hunger for God to fill the whole earth with his righteousness. We want him to fill this world with his righteousness, his peace, and his mercy for all people. Everyone that should be hungry should be hungry for him. The issue is What I want to talk about today, though, is that we fail to recognize hunger in other people. We do that because sometimes we, the church, and we as individuals overshadow other people. So for the sake of today, I'm just going to call them shadow people. Not to be confused with the zombie and the walking of the dead people, but just shadow people. We overshadow them because we have our eyes focused on us sometimes. We have so absorbed in what's going on in our life, our problems, our situation, that sometimes, like that narrow view of who our neighbor is, we have a narrow view of what's going on in our world. Now, most of us are creatures of habit. If you ask my husband, Steve, Steve, wave your hand. Everybody knows where you're at. You could give him five different restaurants and he could tell you exactly what I would order at each different restaurant. It would be a different thing at each different restaurant. He could tell you my routine. He could tell you my habits. He could tell you my inclinations. And for the most part, he could tell when something is wrong with me. Even though I might say, I'm fine. I don't want to talk about it. I'm good. He knows that there's something wrong. And why? It's because we have an intimate relationship with one another. We know each other. And my husband, now this is a good pointer for uh, those of you that are single out there, takes time to notice those things about me. But when we are rushing by, and we're too busy... And we're too absorbed. We miss the people that are shadow people in our lives. These same people that are lacking spiritual sustenance, that are spiritually dying, they have a story, they have a life, they have hurts, they have disappointments, just like we do. But they are in our peripheral vision, so to speak. And I am guilty of it. You're guilty of it. We're all guilty of it, of rushing by. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I'm on the time clock. And there is somebody over there in our vision who's had a very real need or hurt happen to them, but they are not noticed. We overlook them. Then there's another set of people in our lives, in every group, who are people that try to be invisible. Now, they are visible. And I'll tell you how this happens. I have a story for you. I was, last year, I was getting ready to train for the half marathon. And so my husband, being gracious, said, I oh, will jog around the neighborhood because you're supposed to jog so many days every other day, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, it was fairly decent out, and we're running along, and, you know, he's trying to carry a conversation. I'm just, I could barely talk. So we're coming around the corner, and there's two boys that are obviously brothers playing in their front yard, and they're on the sidewalk and that. So we're running along, and the older boy sees us coming along, so he gets off the sidewalk and gets up to the front yard. Now, the younger of the two, he has a green plastic army hat on. He's got the whole outfit on. He's got his boots, you know. And you could hear this, pow, pow, blam, blam. Oh, I got you. Ah!" You know, all this going on. You could tell they were playing some kind of battle or war between each other. So anyway, the younger one doesn't notice it until we're right up on him. When he sees us, instead of running to be close to his brother, he actually goes over by a tree and stands there like this. And so we're jogging by, and I had to chuckle to myself. So I said out loud, hey, Steve, weren't there two boys out here? Wow, where did the other one go? I mean, he's right there, you know. And so we we laughed as we went by. But we grown-ups do the same thing. We try to hide in plain sight, right? Just like I said earlier, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to talk about it. I'm fine. There are people that just want to go unnoticed. And we rush around with our heads down, and we run by people and don't make eye contact with them, and we try to get preoccupied with whatever it is we're doing so that we don't have to engage with somebody else. So, church, we need to recognize that there's spiritual hunger in these people because these things are symptoms of brokenness, symptoms of sin, symptoms of hurt in our life and in their life as well. But why do we miss it? Why do we not see the peripheral people and the people that are hurting and the people that are hiding in plain sight? Why do we miss these Why do we see and not see? Why do we hear them and don't understand? Well, Jesus very pointedly diagnosed the problem. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew 13, verses 14 and 16. Somebody have the page number? 678? Okay. It says, You will be ever hearing, but never understand. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. It's a calloused heart, it's a heart that has no empathy. It's a heart that only looks at what's in front of them in front of their very own eyes and misses everything in between. And then Jesus talks about a spiritual condition. He describes what spiritually these people that are broken look like. And it's in the next uh, part of your outline there in Matthew 13. I'm sorry, Matthew 12:20. It talks about a bruised reed and a smoldering wick. Then he also says, you know what? It's not just that these people are already bruised and that these people who are weak and and are hopeless, but that it's you people, the church, not only with callous hearts that are so busy, so self-absorbed and go right past them, it's the fact that You wish them well and then go on your merry way as if they can heal themselves. Faith without actions is dead. And Jesus is speaking to the church. You can't just wish these people well and go on your merry life. I'll pray for you, brother. Yeah, hope you get better. No, it doesn't work that way. We are at fault when we don't see people and we don't perceive their hunger because we have hard, calloused hearts. Callous hearts do not let compassion in, they don't let love in, and they don't let it flow out either. And you know, this mindset of, you know, there's a verse that talks about we're in it, in the world, but not of it. It is a mindset as well that can be twisted in a sense that it puts us in a situation where it's us versus them. And that's not what God meant with that. There's a major problem with that thinking because we were them at one point. We were broken. We had all the symptoms that they do. We were spiritually hungry. We have not measured up at some point in our lives. You know, the reed that Jesus is talking about, the bruised reed, in biblical times, the reeds were used as a measuring rod. They'd be about six cubits high, which I think a cubit is from here to here, so maybe about six feet tall. And he's talking about a bruised reed. So let me ask you something. Have you ever felt like you haven't measured up? that you failed to meet someone's expectations or standards of you? Have you ever been made ashamed? Have you felt that way? A bruised reed is weak. It lacks support. Nobody believes in it. And the teachers of the law used the reed, used the mosaic law as a measuring rod against their people. Do you have a blemish? Are you poor? Are you sick? Then you are not a chosen one. You cannot be part of us. It must be because you have a sin in your life. And they excommunicated and exiled people because they weren't like them. Does that sound familiar? It's no wonder that Christianity gets a bad name when we use a measuring rod against people. That smoldering wick, it speaks of a light and of an energy that once was, that is now hopeless. It's giving up and it's about to go out. And there's a little hope left, there's a little spirit left, there's little life left in it. Social disengagement leads to loneliness and eventual death. Because we are all born with an insatiable need for meaningful interaction with others. We all need to feel loved. We all need to belong to matter, to be significant, to be safe. We all need those things as basic human condition of the way we were made, the way God created us. We cannot pretend that shadow people do not exist. We cannot pretend, church, that those people that want to be invisible are invisible. We cannot fail to recognize the spiritual hunger in these people because it's our job to connect them with the life of Jesus. Jesus was not willing that anyone be ignored or discarded. He went after them. His response to people hurting and in need was to see compassion and have mercy on them. He saw them like... Sheep without a shepherd. They were harassed. They were helpless. And he went after them. I have a new job. Um, I'm a receptionist over at um, a center that teaches children with autism and anywhere on the autistic spectrum. Excuse me. And they see kids from elementary all the way to the age 22. And they have a philosophy there at the school that was kind of played out right before my eyes. There are students, and we have what are called behavior specialists, and they're up front. Because transitions are really hard for anybody on the autism spectrum. And so some um, children need assistance getting out from the car and back into their class. So they will have people there to assist children coming and going. And in this one particular instance, there was an older boy, probably 20, who would not get out of the car because it had just snowed and he was afraid that he would slip and fall in the snow. So two of the specialists went out. They spent 30 minutes with him just coaxing him out of the car to get him inside the building. Once he got inside the building, he refused to go back to class. Now, the mom came in, and she was fairly older, but you could see how worn out she was. You could see it in her eyes. She had tears streaming down her eyes. And while she's got tears streaming down her eyes, her son starts exhibiting behaviors, and he started throwing haymakers at the aides. And she's standing by helpless. And you could just see how worn out, how weary she was, because this was her lot. This was her life every day, feeling helpless at what was going on with her son. So what played out in front of me was that the two specialists dropped everything that they were doing managed to get him to sit down and sat on either side of him and talked calmly with him for two hours. Two hours. At one point, the the young man looks at his mom and says, Mom, why are they doing this? And the mom, with tears in her eyes, looks at him and says, Because they want you to be successful. They want you to have a successful day. Within five minutes, that boy got up and walked back to class. Now, the day is halfway over for him school-wise, but it was because They wanted him to have a successful day. Jesus does that for us. He wants us to be successful, and he's not going to let us go and be disregarded and disconnected like that. Jesus is concerned and proclaimed how the church should care for all people. And you know what? He stresses the important matters. You know, the teachers of the law, you know, they're using that Mosaic law to to get people to measure up with, right? Well, he points out to them that you're failing to see the important things that this law was meant to do, and that was to bring justice, to have mercy and faithfulness. These are the important things that should matter. Not whether somebody fell down and got back into drugs again. Not, what, not whether they are in a gay or lesbian relationship. Not whether they are doing this or doing that and they don't measure up so they shouldn't walk in the doors. That's baloney. It doesn't matter. The law says that we are to love people and to want justice to want God's righteousness in the world to make them whole and we are supposed to be that connector that bridge as the church do you remember when you met the Lord where did he find you at just think about that for a moment where was I when I met the Lord were you alone Were you in a situation that was desperate and dire? Were you panicked about it? Were you shamed? Were you beaten up because life and things just over and over again? Whatever the case, Jesus still pursued you. He forgave you. He redeemed you. He lifted you up. And he continues to want to pour into you and draw him closer to himself so that we can give away what we got. You know, sometimes we don't believe we have anything to give. And that's one of the reasons, as a church, we don't reach out to these peripheral people or the invisible people or the other people in our lives. We think we don't have anything. But that's not true either. Because of the fact that you're here, you have a testimony of what Jesus did, of Jesus' faithfulness, of Jesus' mercy and love for you. And that's what he gave you. Terry Wardle, I believe, said something about seeing all these mundane things and looking for the miracles in the mundane things that we do. Those mundane things, cooking, cleaning, driving somebody to church, all those things are miracles in somebody else's life because they couldn't do them and because they needed them and because that need got met. Sowing in the Bible just doesn't refer to financial reward. Sowing refers to throwing the word out, throwing that seed out. And it's a numbers game. The more you do it, the more there will be a harvest of souls for you. Church, we're to be hungry. We're to have a desire to see the kingdom of God break into everyone's life for justice to make things right, for mercy to give what we don't deserve, which is grace, and most of all, love. We are to be living hungry for God's righteousness to prevail in and among us in our world. Now, on the back of your outline, there's two key verses there. Matthew 5, 6. Let's read that out loud together. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Do you see that? We are supposed to be thirsty we are supposed to be hungry we are supposed to be people living hungry for God and we are supposed to want the righteousness of God in our lives and in the whole world and when God does that he fills us and when he fills us it's so that we can be giving away what we got over and over and over again and the blessed part is that we keep having this cycle over and over and over again it's not supposed to run out until he comes back because when he comes back we won't need it righteousness will prevail when we are filled we give the very bread of life and we get that the bread of life from Jesus we get the living waters from Jesus And when we give those things, not only to the physically hungry and thirsty, but the spiritually ones, the the ones that need it spiritually, what we do for them, we also do for Jesus. So look at that next verse there for you. It's in Matthew 25, 35 through 40. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Mundane things. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Shadow people, invisible people, they all have two things in common. They're living spiritually hungry, and they're in the dark. Now, if I invite someone to my house and it's dark outside, I don't just give them directions because chances are they will drive right past my house and miss it altogether. I turn on my porch light so that my house can be found and so that we can be together and we can connect. And that's what Jesus is talking about when he's saying, put that light out. Don't put it under a bowl. Put your light out so that men can see it, the light, the life of Jesus in us. So, you know, we're supposed to be hungry together as a people for God. We're supposed to, as a church, recognize the hunger, the spiritual hunger that exists in everyone. We have a response to that hunger, much like Jesus did, to have compassion and mercy and justice and want the righteousness of God to flow. We are to be living hungry for us and for wanting them to come into the kingdom as well. We are to connect them with the life of Jesus. Why don't you stand with me? And can we have Adam come back up, please? Now when I was praying this morning, um, the Lord gave me this mental picture of rocks, just kind of scattered rocks. And you know, like a child, like in a creek, you skip to one rock and you try to skip to the other and you skip to the other so you're not touching the mud or the dirt. And I really felt like God was giving us a picture today of all of his word. You know, that we stand on the rock and we go from scripture to scripture, from precept to precept, from, you know, fresh anointing to fresh anointing. And that eventually those rocks come together to form a path. And remember John's message last week about make straight the path for the coming of the Lord. I think that path is our heart. And we need to plow that calloused heart for Jesus.